This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is our technical producer, and Ryan White is our live stream producer. Check out my YouTube and Rumble channels, Strange Planet. And uh, in case you haven't noticed, I've rebranded my podcast, formerly called Conspiracy Unlimited, and it's now called Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And you can listen and subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com. Strangeplanetpodcast.com. I think we're up around 740 episodes, and you get the 30 most recent for free. And for less than $2 every month, you can become a a premium subscriber and gain access to the vast back catalog. Plus, you get two commercial-free bonus episodes per month. Go to strangeplanetpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes. Again, that's strangeplanetpodcast.com. Coming up in the second hour, documentary filmmaker, public speaker, Biblical prophecy expert Ali Siadatan will be here to discuss the recent congressional hearings into UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. We used to call them UFOs. Now they call them UAPs. And uh, Ali will uh, give a brief overview of government studies of UFOs, and then he'll get into how UFO disclosure all relates to biblical prophecy. That's coming up in the second hour. This hour... Psychic paranormal investigator John Russell is here to address such topics as cloud busting, haunted houses, and haunted objects, and ghostly phenomena. When John was five, he was awakened by an intrusive ghost who not only scared the wits out of him, but also up and opened up a portal that activated John's psychic gifts and allowed a never-ending parade of paranormal manifestations to occur in his life. And we're going to talk about his psychic awakening and the abundance of mind-blowing, otherworldly confrontations he's experienced, as well as the life lessons those many supernatural encounters have taught him. 
John has over 45 years of experience as a professional psychic with a worldwide clientele. And as a paranormal investigator who has witnessed over 800 supernatural manifestations, you heard me correctly, 800 supernatural manifestations. He's also been an avid motorcyclist for over 50 years. He's the author of Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead, and A Knock in the Attic. John Russell, how are you? Richard, I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a great night. Looking forward to it. Likewise. Uh, so, how much do you remember about that uh, that encounter at five years of age? Can you take us back? I can take you back, Richard. I remember everything about it just like it was yesterday. Uh, I was sound asleep in bed, and uh, my parents had a nightlight down the hallway, so in case I had to get up during the night, I could see to, to get down the hallway to where the bathroom was. And there were other doorways going off of that hallway. So I was uh, in my bed, sound asleep, and I woke up all of a sudden totally, completely wide awake. No drowsiness, no grogginess, and I knew I wasn't dreaming. I knew I wasn't having any kind of vision or anything. I, I was just suddenly wide awake. And it must have been around 1 or 2 in the morning, I guess. It was pitch black, and I thought, well, maybe I heard a noise outside, and that's what woke me up. And I kind of laid there a little bit and listened, didn't hear anything. And I thought, well, this is really strange. How can I just suddenly wake up like this? Because I've always been a person, I never snap wide awake. It takes me a while to get going. You know, an hour or two after I wake up, then I finally figure out what's going on. So (laughs) I'm totally wide awake, and I raise up on my elbows and just kind of look around my room, and I look out through my open bedroom door into the hallway and peering around the door frame of one of the door frames in the hallway is this elderly black gentleman staring straight at me and I screamed bloody murder because my family was white we didn't have anyone black living with us didn't have anyone else living with us and uh, so my presumption as a five-year-old child was somebody's broken into the home there's an intruder in the home this is someone I don't recognize And when I screamed, he walked around the doorway into the hall, started walking down the hallway toward me, toward my bedroom, and his eyes locked on mine, never looked away. He didn't have a menacing look. It was more kind of a bemused look. And he was every single bit as solid as you or I. He wasn't translucent, wasn't transparent. He was totally, completely solid. And I can even tell you how he was dressed. And I knew he was elderly because he had close-cropped white hair, he had a white mustache, and he wore a red flannel shirt. He had on khaki pants, black shoes, and a black belt. And the closer he got, I screamed bloody murder again because here this stranger is coming for me in the middle of the night. And my parents started to come running, and when they did, he began to vanish slowly and then disappeared entirely by the time my parents got there. And uh, I was absolutely just out of my mind with fright. My mother was trying to hold me and console me, and my mother and father were telling me, look, you've just had a nightmare, there's nobody here, there's nothing going on. And my fright was so real, I convinced them that somebody was in the house. And my father actually went and looked under all the beds, looked in all the closets, checked all the doors and windows, and of course everything was locked up tight, and nobody in a physical body was there with us. And so that's when it dawned on me I had seen my first ghost. And I didn't know why he had come. I didn't know if he was going to come back. My parents were trying to get me to calm down, go back to sleep. And, of course, that took hours and hours. 
And after that occurrence, then I spent uh, several weeks probably looking over my shoulder frequently and having a very difficult time to lay down and uh, and go to sleep at night because my, my constant fear was this ghost is going to come back and what's he going to want? Is he going to want to talk to me? Is he going to ask me to do something scary? You know, why do you show up in the first place? And as time went on, these paranormal, physical paranormal manifestations begin to occur in my life that were nothing that I dreamed or meditated or daydreamed or hallucinated because they were also experienced by other people in the physical realm. And when those started, uh, I was getting close to the age of six by then, and when those physical manifestations started, uh, something clicked in me, and I wouldn't have been able to describe it as a young child, but I had this understanding that the gentleman had come to open up the portal to these experiences. That was why he had come, and that I didn't need to be afraid of anything any longer, and that I may not understand everything that was happening to me, but at some point down the road I would, and it would be an important part in my life's development, and then eventually, as I learned, uh, and the ability to help others. So he doesn't sound like, uh, dare I say, use the term run-of-the-mill ghost. I mean, there's no such thing as a run-of-the-mill ghost, but the fact that he's uh, not sort of diaphanous, he's a solid figure, uh, and he came, as you say, to, to maybe activate or help you activate your psychic ability, that doesn't sound like typical ghost. Was he, in fact, a ghost or some sort of a spirit guide? Yeah, I'm thinking maybe he was like a, a guardian angel or a spirit guide of some type that came to say, okay, you know, it's time to awaken this gift in this kid, and uh, I'm the one chosen to do that. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think he was a run-of-the-mill ghost. I think he was someone very special, and uh, he opened up a realm in my life that has been a tremendous blessing to me, and enabled me to be a blessing to others, and I've thanked him a jillion times. I've never seen him again. I have the feeling that out there on the periphery somewhere, he may be kind of watching me, checking in on me periodically. Hey, kid, making sure you're doing this right, you know. But uh, it's it's really been a blessing. And when he when he disappeared, how did he disappear? He just suddenly was not there, or did he sort of dissipate? He dissipated. He disappeared very slowly, and it was almost like the Cheshire Cat. He started at his feet, and his legs kind of began to get translucent and then transparent and own up the rest of his body, and then all the rest of it vanished. But it probably took uh, several seconds for that to occur, so it wasn't just a, a quick, you know, winking out. It was, it was a gradual process, very dramatic, and uh, just, I, I certainly remember it to this day. Your memory of that... Uh I mean, obviously, that would be indelible if something like that happened to, every, to anybody, but your, your detailing is so exact. Um, is that one of the gifts? I mean, obviously, you were meant to, to remember that if you have yeah. such exact details, right? Uh, I think so, and I think that must be a, um, a like you say, kind of a, uh, an aspect of the gift that I was given because uh, throughout my life, I can, I can remember details going back. I remember asking my mother one time, I said, I'm going to tell you something I remember, and you tell me how old I was and tell me if I'm remembering it right. And I told her, and she said, my God, you remembered it exactly as it happened, and you were two. And um, so my entire life I've, I've had this really 
good memory, and I think that's probably part of an aspect of this awakening and this gift. I had a friend one time told me a few years back, he said, I had told him something that we had talked about in conversation years earlier, and he said, man, you need to forget some things. (laughs) I've always had this good memory, always enjoyed that good memory. So uh, the the apparitions that you saw and encountered, uh, when did that start to intensify? Did you say by the age of six? Yeah. Um, as as soon as I had the experience with the old black gentleman, I began to experience these manifestations on the physical realm, uh, solid things, physical things, things affecting objects, and other people would see them as well. And then I discovered that I was psychic when I was getting close to six or about six years old. And the way that came about, I was out in my backyard playing with a toy, running around, and this car pulled in the driveway. And I didn't recognize the people. I didn't recognize the car. I'd never met them. And so I ran inside to get my mom and dad. And uh, I said, there's there's somebody just pulled into the driveway, and I don't know who it is. And they said, okay, we'll come out and check. So they came out and I said, oh, these are friends of ours. And they were friends of my parents I'd never met. And so I said, well, okay. So uh, they got out to come, and, and they were standing on the sidewalk talking with my parents before they went inside. And I was goofing around with my toy. And I came up and got right in the big middle of them, and I had this sudden vision and with all this clarity, and I I just interrupted their conversation, and I said, you folks have just been on vacation, and I said, you drove that car that's in the driveway, and you took two kids with you. They're not with you today, but you have two kids, and you took them with you on this vacation, and I said, you stayed at this hotel that was painted this certain color and it looked like this in front, it had this many stories, and there were trees in front that looked like this, and they were regularly spaced, and then the back pool area looked like this. And I'll never forget, the lady's husband was kind of like looking back and forth at everybody, like, with this bemused look, like, what in the world's going on? And his wife was looking at me, literally jaw agape, eyes bugged out, looking at me like I had cobras growing out my ears. And she looked at my parents, and she said, how the hell... Can he possibly know that? And my parents were flustered, and I think my mother said something like, well, you know, kids and their imaginations. And she goes, kids and their imaginations? She said, no. How the hell could he possibly know that? And my parents were kind of getting a little flustered, and she said, that's what we came to tell you about this vacation that we just took. And we drove our car, that car in the driveway. We took our two kids with us. We stayed at this hotel that looked exactly like John described. How the hell is that possible? How could he have known this? And my mother and father said something like, you know, John, go play now. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you folks. And off I went with my toy. And I guess I scared him to death because I never came to visit my parents again. And that's when I discovered that I could see into people's lives. And I could tell things about where they had been or where they were going to be. Uh, what their emotions, their feelings were, things that had gone on around in them in the past, and then I begin to discern that I could also accurately predict their futures, and that would happen, that would come true as well. And so that occurred again about the age of six, and then all of that began to mesh together, the psychic gift and the uh, the physical manifestations, and kind of started to make some sense. Like, oh, okay, how this did, is what I'm supposed to do in life. How did that affect your growing up, and how did that affect your relationship with your parents? Well, my mom was a very strong believer in paranormal and psychic phenomena, and in her family lineage, there had been a lot of people that had had experiences and and believed in that. 
My father was a closet believer, and uh, the paranormal scared him. He was a very strong guy, a very physical guy, very rough and rugged. He had been a rancher, and he owned a bar, and he was his own bouncer, and so he could handle himself in a fist fight. But the paranormal scared him because it was nothing he could lay his hands on. It came at him on its whim and on its terms, and there was nothing he could do about it. And he had to realize the reality of it, but it it scared the life out of him. So he was just kind of like, okay, well, I'm not going to talk about it. But my mother encouraged me uh, the best that she could and answered all the questions that she could. And then uh, growing up, it, it made life pretty difficult for a while because when you have those gifts and you begin to express these experiences that you've had to people that all of their life have been told such things don't exist and you don't talk about such things and so on and so forth, uh, then it, it, you get ostracized. It makes it difficult for you because you're, you're shunned or made fun of or whatever. And uh, so that was, that was difficult growing up. That was a, a problematic thing. And interestingly enough, it drove me deeper to seek the other side and to seek the spiritual communication and to befriend these entities that were coming to me. And I think I had a richer relationship with them uh, than I did uh, people in the flesh. Uh, tell me about your, we've got about uh, four and a half minutes here, and then we're going to roll into a break at the bottom of the hour. John Russell is with us, professional psychic and a paranormal investigator, the author of Riding with Ghosts, and we'll get uh, around to talking about your motorcycle. Is it Melissa? Yes, Melissa. Okay. Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead, and a Knock in the Attic. Uh, well, let's let's talk about Melissa. Um and your 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 love for motorcycles. First of all, can I ask why is your motorcycle named Melissa? She told me that was her name when I met her, and I said okay. <laughs> so that's the answer to that. <laughs> okay, now is is are you are you speaking sort of uh, poet wax poetic? Uh, no, not at all. Is, or is this quite, is this, quite is this a haunted object? Yeah, quite literally spiritually because uh, I believe that there are objects that inherently have. Uh, let's call it a spirit or an intelligence of some type, for lack of a better word. And uh, if you uh, will, it's like, you know, when we were young, if you had an old beat-up car, but you loved the thing, and uh, you took and you washed it and you waxed it and you cleaned the windshields really good and you vacuumed it out and it was all sparkly and shiny, for a couple of weeks it ran better. And that's something that a lot of people I've talked to over the years have observed. So, you know, we think of inanimate objects as just being just that, just some soulless object. But there's increasing evidence that things have either some inherent type of awareness or perhaps some attached type of awareness. But when I uh, came upon her and, and bought her, brand spanking new, that was what she told me her name was. And I said, okay, good. And we've had marvelous adventures ever since. So is it an attached spirit? I think that it's, um, I would call it an inherent spirit. And I think that things, you know, people like, uh, I'm writing a third book now, and I talk about the inherent properties of things, like tarot cards having an, an intrinsic ability or power about them to do certain things, <clears throat> excuse me, or to uh, project certain energies or, or interact in certain ways. And I do believe that objects possess that. I believe that rocks, crystals, trees, 
uh, the things that we use on a daily basis have that. And there's a lot of people that believe that there was a famous sculptor that uh, used to buy uh, David Smith, that was the abstract expressionist sculptor, would buy these huge quantities of steel and just lay them in his shop. And he said, the longer they're around me, the more energies they absorb, and the more artistic they become, the more creative they enable me to be. And so there's a lot of people that uh, that believe in that, and I, I definitely believe in that from a spiritual perspective. And does Melissa direct you to certain locations um, when you're doing your paranormal investigations? Uh, she has. That and my guys on the other side, and I use the term my guys as an umbrella term for all the spirits on the other side that have, a lot of them have been with me since childhood, and they're my guardian angels, friends and loved ones that have, have crossed over, uh, the spirit guides and uh, uh, other entities that I don't think we even have correct names or understanding of, but they're there in a very positive and very helpful way. So I have a lot of guidance when I'm doing things. All right, John, we're going to uh, take a time out. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk some more about haunted objects. And uh, I'd also like to know what uh, cloud busting is all about. John Russell, 45 years of experience as a professional psychic, paranormal uh, investigator, and again, the author of Riding with Ghosts, Angels and the Spirits of the Dead, and A Knock in the Attic. Back with uh, more in a moment. Don't go away. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, and uh, we are back, and I seem to have resolved my uh, audio issues. I'm back on microphone instead of on the uh, the mic or uh, on my phone uh john russell is with us and uh, we are having one amazing conversation here and he's uh, conducted numerous paranormal investigations uh, on his bike motorcycle melissa so where does melissa take you john I've put almost 114,000 miles on that bike since I've had her, and I bought her brand new without a mile owner. So we've done a lot of riding. We've been all over Florida and up into parts of Georgia over a, a, a pretty uh, large amount of Georgia, and we've gone to uh, cemeteries, and we've gone to uh, retail places that you wouldn't think would, that there would be any dramatic manifestations. and. We've gone to out-of-the-way uh, state parks and woods that have proved to be very haunted, and uh, I write about all those things in my books, and it's it's been a wonderful uh, and exciting adventure. You see, uh, in addition to, you know, solid uh, apparitions, you see ghostly-type figures as well? Oh, absolutely. That and... Uh, I've, I've seen nature spirits. I've seen uh, the most mind-blowing thing to me was uh, to see a, a fairy. And I, I didn't quite know if they really existed. Then I saw one, I had to jump on that bandwagon and say, okay, I believe. I was sitting outside one night, 
and uh, from across the street, right over the uh, rooftop of my neighbor's house, this glowing object was flying across the street toward me. And I was like, what in the world is this? And as it got closer, and like I say, it was right over the rooftop, so, you know, close enough you can see it very clearly. And it was either had an aura or it was like glowing from within. And as it got closer, I could see that it was a little person about two or three feet long, had hair, had wings, had clothes. And I was just, I was gobsmacked. I was like, good Lord. And it flew over and I was like, hey, <laughs> come back. And doggone it, it didn't come back. But so I've, I've seen an incredible amount of things in my time. I've seen nature spirits manifest some incredible things. I've seen the intelligences behind crop circles manifest a little mini crop circle and, and uh, give me all kinds of signs. I've seen things in the stars and the heavens. I've seen, uh, had a ton of UFO experiences. Nominator here with uh, all of these. Getting a bit of an echo here. Okay. Ryan, uh, if you could mute the mic. All right. Um, is there a common denominator with all of these paranormal phenomena, do you think, whether we're talking about UFOs, whether we're talking about ghostly apparitions, nature spirits? I think the common denominator, now I'm, I'm going to put UFOs outside of that because I've always viewed them as physical objects and as visitors from another planet. I don't have proof of that, but that's my viewpoint. It seems to be logical. And our own government in the report they release says, okay, yes, they're physical objects, and uh, they show up on, on various centers and so on and so forth. Now, there does seem to be a paranormal component sometimes associated with UFOs or produced by UFOs. So that's a whole other thing that we have to explore and get into. Uh, but for the, for the rest of it, I just put that under the umbrella term of paranormal or supernatural, whatever you want to call it. And there are divisions within those things. For example, a, uh, a haunted object is obviously propelled by a different energy than nature spirits out in the forest are, those types of things. So there's, we might as well put it all under the umbrella of paranormal, but then underneath that there are these, I guess, divisions or classifications, you could say, of various types of phenomena that you experience that I don't believe is, is all the same. I believe it's all different, in other words. So, the 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 the, the haunted object arena, right. let's call it. Um, let's let's delve into that a little bit. Uh, am I wrong to assume that uh, the objects that are most likely to have some sort of a spirit attachment would be antiques? No, like in any object can have an attachment or can have, again, that energy that we could ascribe as being some type of intelligence or spirit or energy or whatever. I have a, uh, uh, at the time, I bought this brand spanking new toy camera. I'm a photographer, and my wife and I were in the store, and there was this large toy camera and all these bright colors made out of plastic about the size of a regular 35-millimeter camera. And when you pressed a button... Uh, shutter sound went off and little LED lights flashed where the, the flash would be on a built-in flash on a regular 35-millimeter camera. And if you uh, pressed another uh, button, then it played a little song. 
And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to have this. And my wife looked at me like I was an idiot and rolled her eyes. And she said, you're a child. And I said, I oh, know, but look, I, it's so neat. I've got to have this. So I bought it, took it home, and uh, set it you know, on the, on the shelf. And it started going off by itself. And it became increasingly uh, active to the point that when I was on radio shows, <laughs> sometimes it'd start going off, and it would go off for like five minutes nonstop, and the, the DJs would hear it, and they would go, what's going on? What's that in the background? I'd have to tell them the story. So it was this little haunted camera, and it's, it's brand new. And it would go off at all hours of the day and night, and we finally noticed that there was a pattern to it. And the pattern was that when it went off and began to be exceptionally active, there was some... A significant change that was fixing to come about in our life. And so it could be a move, or it could be like uh, I was contacted to shoot the TV pilot for the History Channel. And when things like that, before they would occur, the camera would just absolutely go crazy for a few days right prior to whatever event was happening. So it kind of became an indicator in our lives of, uh, you know, important changes that were about to occur. And again, the camera was brand new, so, you know, that was something that there was no antiquity or history to or anything like that. So it uh, it was active that way for a long time. And then, uh, you know, there are objects that are old that have uh, some meaning or significance or energy or spirit attached to them or inherent with them, but there's also new ones that do as well. Why would a, um, let's say, a spirit or someone who's passed over choose to attach uh oneself uh, itself to uh, an inanimate object right well i think that you know if we're talking about someone that's passed over uh then you're talking about somebody and people always say oh you know well they're earthbound or they haven't found the light or this and the other when they need to cross over well if you're dead you've crossed over and, you know, the light's there, the light's available to you. You know you're dead. You know you're there. And you're not earthbound. You're choosing to hang around for whatever reason. And people on the other side go across and retain their memory, their will, their sense of humor, their intellect, their motivations, drives, and desires as they adapt to life on the other side. And I think that this misunderstanding occurs that people can't move on and it's not that they can't move on, it's they don't want to move on. They may say, okay, I've got to hang around and, and protect my wife that I left behind, or my daughter, or I've got to, you know, go and try and communicate with my friend and tell him I see something that would be beneficial to him if I can get that across. So, you know, people on the other side have their reasons for hanging around, for being around. And then I think that there are a host of... Uh, of spiritual beings. Again, some of these we may not even know what they are, who they are, how to classify them, and for whatever reasons they have, they choose to hang around. It may be out of a need for companionship. It may be a, a beneficial need, a benevolent need, uh, wanting to guide us or to help us, or it may be something as simple as a, a lower form, what we would consider a lower form of intelligence, that uh, decides to make its presence known and decides to help out in whatever way it can. Oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, this is a widely held uh, view, I would say, uh, from, you know, the, 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 the many, many paranormal researchers or investigators right. that I've talked to over the years is that, that there are some spirits that they, they don't understand, they, they don't realize they're dead, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you're saying, no, that's not true. Once you're dead, you have passed on. Yeah. You, they are making there, a conscious decision yeah. to remain yeah. here on Earth. Exactly, exactly right. And I had a, um, a lucid dream one night in which one of my spirit guides came to me and said, I'm going to show you what it's like to die. And the analogy they gave me was driving a car with your car being the physical body. And they said, look, when you're driving the car down the highway, you're aware that you're in your car. You're touching the steering wheel, you're adjusting the radio, you're doing whatever. You know you're in your car. And then the car starts sputtering and it runs out of gas and you pull over by the side of the road. You open the door and you get out and you're aware that you're no longer in your car. You're aware that you're out of the car. And they said, think of that as an analogy for the physical body. When you cross to the other side, you're suddenly aware, oh, hey, I'm not in the car anymore. (laughs) I'm not in my physical body anymore. So you're aware that you're on the other side. And, uh, And then you get into all these things about send people to the light. Well, you don't do that. You can't do that. People are there. They know they're there. They're met by friends and and, uh, family on the other side, guardian angels, so on and so forth. So they have this help to adapt and to move on and to do what they want to do. And uh, I was on a podcast the other day, and the host and I were talking about, we got to talking about this and how ludicrous it is that people come and go send people to the light and this, that, and the other, uh, because we're talking about all the incidents that occur, like at the... uh, what is the Queen Mary that's haunted, right? And the, the little right. girl at the pool or whoever it is, and supposedly doesn't, you know, people go, well, honey, you're dead, and go to the light, and blah, 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 and there she's gone. And he said, that what's so funny is every time a new paranormal group comes through to investigate, there she is again, and they send her to the light again, you know. So either it's Excellent. somebody on the, on the other side having a, uh, a joke at our expense, or it's some type of uh, replay in the atmosphere that, you know, happens over and over again but there's no need to try and send people to the light they're over there they know they're over there and uh that's that's what i've been told and that kind of bears out with all the paranormal investigations i've done started doing paranormal investigations at the age of 11 and i'm 68 now so i got a little bit of experience in that venue i'd say john hold on we'll take another time out john russell back with uh, more of our conversation with the psychic paranormal investigator after these And we are back with John Russell and uh, his uh, books, Spirits of the Dead, or sorry, Riding with Ghosts, Angels and the Spirits of the Dead, and A Knock in the Attic. And we were talking a little bit about uh, haunted objects. Many years ago, when I was uh, first starting out in talk radio, I was a, a, um, a producer, a chase producer, and um, we received a letter from a, a couple, I believe, they were in Cambridge, Ontario, and they um, they ran an antique store, and they came into possession of an, an ornately carved bench. And it had, uh, on the back of the bench, I think it was spo- uh, supposed to be a depiction of the, uh, is it the Greek god of wine? Is that Bacchus, I think? Bacchus. Or is that the Roman god? Anyway, but it looked somewhat demonic let's say and as soon as they uh they liked the, the bench so much so much they took it into their house and then bad things started to happen i think um i don't think she she worked in the uh, antique store but she lost her job or he lost his job and then there was one illness after another and money problems and things like that and then they started to see 
apparitions in the house, uh, not a solid figure, uh, John. Um, and so they alerted it to us, and they brought they actually brought the bench into the radio station. They brought it on their truck, and we ended up auctioning auctioning it off. They wanted to get rid of it, and uh, anyway, that was uh, a, a fascinating chapter in my broadcasting career. But what do you think was happening with that with that uh, bench? Is is it possible that uh, negative energies, maybe even demons, will attach themselves to a piece of furniture? Well, I think that certainly negative energies can. I'm real reluctant to go the demon route because there's so many people in the paranormal community that throw demons around just for everything. And uh, look, you know, all we have to do is look at the real world. We know that not everybody's a good person out there. We know that there are bad people that do bad things. And if we extrapolate that to the spiritual realm, certainly that must apply and hold true to some extent. But I think a lot of things that people experience, um, we have a default, a knee-jerk reaction that most of us go to, and that's from our religious training or upbringing or whatever. And that default position is that anything that happens, uh, especially if it's outside of uh, the religion in which we were raised, then it's got to be demonic or satanic or evil or dangerous. And a lot of people have been told that these things don't occur, that they're not real. And then they do, and it scares them. It's like they're confronted with a reality they've never experienced before, and they have to acknowledge that reality and or they worry about, am I going crazy? Am I going nuts? Am I, you know, have I lost my mind here? So there's all these factors that come into play. And then a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, like you have an object like that, and it may make you more aware of what occurs in your life. So you may have been feeling poorly to begin with and ignoring it, and the bench comes into your life and all of a sudden, oh, I'm sick. And it's like, well, you may have been heading that way anyways. Or you may have been doing things physically, neglecting yourself in such a way that you're going to run yourself down, make yourself sick, and you associate that with the bench. And there may have been circumstances that caused a job loss anyway. And then you look, oh, well, the bench came into my life. I lost my job and all this kind of thing. So uh, we always have to look at the, the most practical associations when we begin to investigate something. And in all of my investigations, I've not encountered anything that would be like, you know, the demonic from, uh, from uh, the exorcist, anything like that. Uh, I've never been in all the investigations I've done since the age of 11. I've done some very high-profile ones, uh, as well as several that just what might be deemed ordinary or, or mundane. And I've never been threatened. I've never been pushed. I've never been scratched. I've never been bitten. I've never felt uh, like I was uh, overcome by evil. I've never had anything evil attach itself to me and follow me home. And I think a lot of these people, you know, you get a lot of people that they think they're paranormal investigators and they're not. And, I mean, you, all you got to do is watch TV and some of the big shows and they challenge the ghost, which is a stupid thing to do. And the ghost does something, then they scream and run like little girls. Well, that's what you're there for is to encounter and interact with these beings. And so a lot of people that proclaim themselves to be paranormal investigators, they don't have any idea what they're doing. They don't have any idea what the spiritual realm is actually like. And like I say, I've had these interactions since I was a kid, and we mentioned the number 800. It's been well over a 1,000 
physical manifestations that I've experienced in my life many times. Other people have experienced these with me, so that's not something that I dreamed or daydreamed or hallucinated or meditated or envisioned. These are actual physical uh, manifestations that occur on the physical realm. Sometimes we've audio recorded them, we've video recorded them, uh, we've gotten photographs of them. So these are real things that are actually really occurring. And my position in all of this has been to say, okay, what's real, what isn't, what works, what doesn't, why is this manifesting? And then what can we learn from that? How can it make our lives better if we work with it in a reasonable and respectful way? And then after we make our lives better, how can we make someone else's lives better? And that's where you have to go with this. That's that's the thing to do. It's like these paranormal investigators go out and they use a REM pod or they use EVP or this, that, and the other, and they get a manifestation. Well, fine. But who made the manifestation? Why did they make the manifestation? Do they have a message that they want to get across? What is that message? What's the purpose of that message? And that's what a real paranormal investigator has to do. And to do that, I believe you have to have a certain sensitivity or a psychic gift or ability to go into it and not be biased or prejudiced that everything you encounter is dark or evil or demonic or dangerous or whatever because that's not the case and my experience uh overwhelmingly all of my experience has been positive and my guardian angels whatever you want to call them have literally no exaggeration literally saved my life on many occasions so there is a, a tremendous positive benefit to this realm but if you approach it properly and not in an idiotic, disrespectful way. John, we'll, uh, this was a short segment. We'll take another time out, come back, and uh, maybe I'll get you to uh, regale us on uh, one time that a guardian angel saved your life. John Russell is a uh, psychic and paranormal investigator back with more of our conversation, plus your comments from the YouTube and Rumble chat right after these. Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.